Well, call him, but then we're just going to start. People can come in when they come in. Not just the way it is. You should hold it up to the mic. This might be good audio. If he even answers. Probably asleep. <laughs> I would love it if, like, a woman picks up. Hey. Uh, hey, wh why do you think I'm calling you? <laughs> what time was it supposed to be? Oh, it's 11 right now. Okay, I'm coming. Right. There we go. That's an opener right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not us talking about unit 731. No, that would be, that'd be a downer. <laughs> All right, here we go. We'll go back to sleep. Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 138. Today, we are talking about Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound, uh, one of his 1940s romantic thrillers, and the romantic thriller, which in many ways Hitchcock is the one of the progenitors of, who is with us today. Oh, what's up? It's Daniel. Hey, gamers. It's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the People's Champion, once again joined by America's Most Eligible Bachelor, Edwin Gomez. <sighs> Hello, America. Look at that. Hello, America. I'm in a good amount of pain because I fell up scooter last night. My whole left side kind of hurts. In a jackass stunt where you tried to jump like the L.A. River? No, I made it. Well, I made a left turn. I guess the scooter's wheel was a little loose and it just like, and ah, uh, I fell off right near the Scientology building. Actually, right in front of it. So that's how that's how they get you. There's probably because they put out oil slick in front of the building. <laughs> Well, that, they that have be true, <laughs> Right under the sidewalk. That may be true. Lord Orm was coming last night, but he didn't. I'm still alive. Couldn't it also be argued that the Lord yet again saved you from something that you yourself caused? One of my moments of sheer terror in recent times was when we were at the Vista. And if anyone's ever been to the Vista Theater, they know that intersection at Hillhurst and Sunset and whatever the other streets are is a nightmare. Uh, you literally just cut across from Ralph's or whatever that grocery store is. And you came straight at us with your boombox playing. And you were like, and literally cars were going. And I was like, <laughs> and you got to the sidewalk. But I was like, Edwin. Like Frogger. Oh, uh, it was like Frogger. But thankfully, God, you know, you keep talking about the Lord taking you out. This is why the Lord can't pay attention to anything else going on in the world because he's made you a pet cause. And he's like, wait, what's Edwin doing again? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm a road warrior, Craig. Road Warrior. Okay. Road Warrior, Edward Goes. And I'm Craig, the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. By the time that you hear this, Secret Movie Clubbers, we will be smack dab in the middle of our Valentine's Day month where we're trying to show romance movies of all kinds. Tonight, we are going to be showing two Howard Hawks screwball comedies, both of which I love. One I really recommend because no one sees it. A 20th century Howard Hawks' first screwball comedy with uh, Carol Lombard, John Barrymore. It's all on a train, by the way. It's hilarious. Or most of it on a train. And then bring up Baby, the much more well-known uh, Cary Grant, Catherine uh, Hepburn screwball comedy, which I love. That's my favorite, actually, besides His Girl Friday. And then Saturday night, we are doing Hitchcock, both on 35. Two great ones from his British period that a lot of people don't see, Sabotage and Young and Innocent. Then Monday and Tuesday, we're doing, I, this would be the... Uh, I, Neapolitan ice cream of everything we're doing. Uh, when Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle, both on 35. Everybody loves at least one of those. And then Wednesday is our open mic short night for February 2023. When you hear this, our submissions will be closed, but please come and check it out. Uh, they keep getting better and better. This is where filmmakers bring their original movies and people meet and they end up making movies together. And then Thursday, our first live murder mystery at the theater. We are working with Myrtle.com 
Com. They have written a murder mystery just for the Secret Movie Club uh, theater, which I think is called like Murder in the Projection Booth. The first hour from 7.30 to 8.30 will be them doing the murder mystery. Then you'll guess who the killer was. Whoever gets it will get some prizes. And then we show Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. So that is this week. Join us. And I would also like to thank our sponsor. We've got uh, sponsors now. Talking about love, we are being sponsored by a vitamin supplement whose name I can't pronounce. It makes you dangerously sexy. I totally should have written the copy on this. I just wrote some ideas. Uh, so I think you're going to have to cut that one out. I'll uh, write some copy for the second one. But it was it was an idea, a vitamin supplement that makes you dangerously sexy. Uh, let me maybe, uh, let me come back to it at the end, and then maybe you can cut it into the beginning. I'll keep working on it throughout the show. As always, you can find out everything we do at secretmovieclub.com. Get tickets at Eventbrite. Just subscribe to Eventbrite, because anytime we announce and we're actually going to be announcing some cool March events we haven't yet announced, including a trivia night, which we're going to test out with a rather well-known stand-up comedian in the L.A. scene. Please join us for that. You're, you're going to hear all about that soon. So you can go to Eventbrite to get tickets, secretmovieclub.com. And as always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com with suggestions, complaints, haikus, slash fiction, whatever you want. So just a few days ago, we showed a Hitchcock double bill, but the first movie we showed was Spellbound. Spellbound was was Hitchcock's first movie after the war. Uh, I think shot in 1945, came out in 1946. Don't quote me on that, but it came out right around that time. It stars Ingrid Bergman, who would actually be in a few Hitchcock movies of the 40s, and then never again, kind of oddly. Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck. The basic premise in the movie is Ingrid Bergman plays a doctor, a psychiatrist at, I don't want to call call it an asylum because that word is out of but it basically like a hospital for folks with mental health issues they get a new doctor because the current doctor who's suffering from exhaustion is retiring dr edwards who uh, is gregory peck comes in just as you would have it in classic cinema ingrid bergman and gregory peck fall in love but then ingrid bergman quickly sees that there's something going on with gregory peck he turns out to be an imposter but she still feels that somehow there's some kind of innocence and goodness to him and she realizes they all realize that Dr. Edwards, who was supposed to come, has disappeared. And then the rest of the movie is a simultaneous mystery of trying to solve who Gregory Peck is because he's got amnesia and he only remembers his initials, JB. And then also what happened to Dr. Edwards and very Hitchcockian. I mean, if I told you that and I said, what director do you think did that? You'd be like Hitchcock. Romantic thrillers have always existed, but uh, usually when a director does a romantic thriller, they often are aping Hitchcock. Not always, but often. And so today we're going to talk about Spellbound and then we're going to talk about romantic thrillers, you know, because Hitchcock's our director of the year. That really interesting thing. It's like gangster movies. It's hard to see a gangster movie after Goodfellas without seeing a little DNA of Goodfellas in most of them, not all of them, or Godfather. Edwin, I want to get you involved because I was listening to our podcast on Jackass and I got you involved too late. So I'm going to go to you first. Spellbound. Um, Spellbound. It's okay. Wasn't great. It was kind of boring. Uh, I fell asleep to most of it uh, until I woke up to the third part of the movie, which was actually pretty entertaining. Ah, I wasn't digging it. I wasn't digging it at all. What weren't you digging? Probably the two thirds he missed. <laughs> that too. Uh, I was awake for the for the first half of the movie, like at least like ten minutes of it, and boop. But that's not really the first half. But well, whatever, Craig. At least I watched a freaking movie for you, you bastard. I like the third act a lot. It's actually really, really funny. The whole movie is actually kind of funny to me. I, I don't know if it was, it was Hitchcock's intention to make it like a, a little soft comedy, 
But uh, yeah, it was it was it was, pretty, it was okay. I love that POV shot where she's like walking out of the room and like basically confessing all these things that this guy's done, and the gun's like pointing right at her, and then the gun slowly turns around like, whoa, that's that's pretty cool. Will I go back and watch it again? Uh, probably not, cause I don't want to. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty decent what I saw. Pretty decent picture, you know. That's why I usually skip Edwin first um i loved it i'd never seen it before a few weeks ago i mentioned the third man and how i've always been desperate for a movie i have a couple movies from the 50s that i would say i love but i don't really have any movies before the 50s and i think i said before the screening uh, last week that if anybody was going to do it it'd be hitchcock and i don't like immediately saying that this is one of my favorite movies because i always like to give it some time and a rewatch but I thought this was great. I was watching it, and I was just like, this is amazing. I, I think Hitchcock is always so ahead of the curve. I think it's going to be an interesting year because unlike the last couple of years with John Ford and Fassbender, where I feel like we collectively on the podcast don't know as much about those directors as you specifically do, Craig, I feel like Hitchcock is actually something we could all, uh, at least I, could speak on and really uh, engaged with. It's been a while since I watched a movie, and I don't mean this as an insult to the movie, but I I was like, I want to make, I don't want to remake it, but in the same way that David Lynch's Blue Velvet and Lost Highway are him doing Rear Window and Vertigo, it would be cool to make a movie that is spellbound and make it way more explicit, too. Because I remember I was watching it, and at the beginning, when Ingrid Bergman goes up to Gregory Peck's uh, room, and there's like some line about, What are you doing here? What are you here for? Cuts to Ingrid Bergman. And I'm like, She's here for the D. That's what she's really here for. If this wasn't a movie made in 1945, I think Hitchcock knew. Some of that imagery is great, like when they kiss and those like doors opening, and then obviously the big dolly sequence, which is like the one thing I kind of knew about the movie going in. I'm also a fan of Spellbound. Surprise, surprise. There's like this interesting era, I think, when Hitchcock had first come to Hollywood to work, and it's my understanding that he had a very contentious relationship with David O. Selznick. So they, they made three movies together, and then he did his own thing, and I kind of wish that they were not little babies and got their stuff together so we could have gotten more because I think this era is so cool. It has some lovely stuff. As Craig kind of hinted at, there's like a weird, especially in this time period, like the use of any sort of institution involving mental health is always like a risky tightrope. And there's definitely like some stuff, but this is a surprisingly interesting look at like sort of people's crumbling states and like the ways that they were viewed. It looks kind of nice, like yeah, comparatively. It's... Unsane this ain't. Yeah, I'm, I'm used to sort of like this very, like stereotyped horror type of thing rather than like a place that looks like a place that might help you recover which i think is the goal and the characters inside i think are treated respectfully yeah and it's interesting like from the 40s perspective there's like this career-oriented woman and the love thing kind of makes sense i think there's like this really easy thing in movies from this era where like they get two seconds together and they're like wow and i'm i'm into that that rules but i do sort of get it in this there's like a lot of emotional connection between them as they sort of uncover what's going on. This is my favorite example too of someone taking what I think is kind of a so-so script and the great direction really saving it. This script is good, but the direction is great and it elevates it 
and makes it like such a better experience than that. And our leads, their charisma. Oh so, yeah. I mean Ingrid Bergman's such a I was watching us like, I mean, she's a she's a looker. I know Absolutely. But said before. And a great actress. Gregory Peck is someone I hadn't had a lot of I didn't really know super well outside of Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's interesting because watching him in this, I would never associate him with the sort of wholesome pure goodness that I associate with the Atticus Finch character. He has a very sinister quality in this. Connor, you and I were talking about that, and I realized that there are actually a number of dark Gregory Peck roles, but Atticus Finch is really the role. That's the role he's known for. But, you know, he played Ahab in John Huston's Moby Dick, and he played Mangala, the Nazi scientist in The Boys from Brazil. So, and he played MacArthur, actually, too, you know, but he played MacArthur as an a-hole. And so he has that ability to sort of be either, and I think in Spellbound specifically, they play on that. He's kind of a unpredictable. It's it's interesting that he's so known for that because really you throw a dart at any other thing he's played and he's a chameleon between productions. And I think too from Bergman, like the ask of this character specifically is like a real vulnerability that I think is, is really lovely that comes between them. She's obviously very gifted in that. Although the movie does have that hilarious thing where when she's uptight, she's wearing glasses. But yeah. when she's in love, she takes the glasses off. Yeah, and she sort of spends a lot of the movie just fighting off, like, advances from colleagues. Yeah, totally. That scene at the beginning where one colleague kisses her, and she just she just doesn't do anything. And she's like, you have a transference, or whatever she's, like, saying. I'd be like, slap that. I think it's a tricky character is a good word for it, and she really nails it. So I was sort of listening, and forgive me, I had to run. We always have Prince shipped on Tuesday. And we got Thelma and Louise, yo. Thelma and Louise in the booth. When I was a teenager, I actually watched Thelma and Louise like seven times. I recorded it off of some channel. I love that movie. It's funny you say that. Edwin watched one third of Spellbound, actually. Oh, yeah. One time. <laughs> I see the correlation. <laughs> In inverse proportion. You know, for me, Spellbound isn't one of my favorite Hitchcocks. And it's weird watching it again. There are parts that are really, really talky. Like when they go to her professor mentor's house, I was like, whoa, they're in that house for a long, long time. But when I was younger, I always felt that Hitchcock's greatest decades were the 30s. I love his 30s output and the 50s. Uh, I love his 50s output and then the early 60s. But looking back at the 40s, there are all these fascinating movies he did that are a joy to come back to because they're not overplayed and so watching spellbound all you know connor you were talking about it i i completely agree that i don't even know if i would say hitch is ahead of the curve as much as i would just say he understands cinema almost like nobody else even the people who ape him don't really get cinema the way he does so like at the very beginning of the movie he establishes gregory peck's weird obsession with zigzag lines and then he finds patterns of zigzag lines everywhere and somehow you know right away that's a key plot point it makes you nervous whenever you see it. He does all these crazy things, like he makes the positive film go negative. He finds all these ways to get you to be like, oh, the zigzag lines. And then, you know, when you see the Salvador Dali dream sequence later on, what else is like that in American cinema in the 1940s? Like you're sitting there watching this animated bird as someone runs down a pyramid and some faceless dude shows up with a wheel behind a chimney. To me, Hitchcock is the ultimate avant-garde smuggler. You know, you have to give it up to somebody who is able to explore really unsettling things and take real cinematic chances and yet still deliver 
like an, an entertainment. So to me, Spellbound's a, a miracle in that way. And I, the only thing I'll say is even if it's not my favorite, it has so much hitch in it that's great. Probably my favorite moment is when Gregory Peck realizes he killed his brother and you suddenly go to this crazy wide-angle POV of him on the stoop and he kicks his brother into the spikes and you're like, whoa! And it's really unsettling and amazingly shot and better shot than most people shoot today, frankly. If Martin Scorsese will return to the gangster picture and John Ford would return to the Western and Howard Hawks would return to the comedy, which was sort of their wheelhouse genre, if they needed to make something, they're like, I think this will make money, it'll reset me, and then I can make the movie I want to make. Hitchcock definitely would return to the romantic thriller throughout his life. There are several Hitchcock romantic thrillers that are considered the top of the top. Uh, Notorious is often uh, many people's favorite Hitchcock, which was just made a year before this. Also starring Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant in that one. Vertigo is a romantic thriller. You know, we, we talked about that a number of times. Many people consider that Hitchcock's best movie. Rear Window is a romantic thriller, although it's not really a romantic thriller between the two leads, per se. Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart love each other, although there's conflict between them. You don't know if they're going to stay together or not, but they're projecting the romantic thriller on a marriage that's gone wrong next door. And then, you know, I don't mean to get gross, but you can easily make an argument that Psycho, to some extent, is dealing with some icky, psychosexual, like, romantic mom, son, what's going on there. And then Marnie is an amazing romantic thriller. And then there's To Catch a Thief and North by Northwest and 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes. But after Hitchcock really showed how to do this, a lot of directors tend to make their Hitchcockian romantic thriller. The ones that jump to mind, you know, Paul Verhoeven's Basic Instinct. There is no way around the fact that he, I mean, San Francisco. Francisco, the Jerry Goldsmith score. He's totally embracing Hitchcock and Vertigo. Another real famous one, not famous, but a more recent one is Robert Zemeckis's What Lies Beneath is clearly Zemeckis's like Hitchcock thriller with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, complete with a bath sequence that literally feels like Hitchcock stepped in and like did the, the B unit directing on that one. I mean, and that's not to take away from Zemeckis. I know Zemeckis did it, but it feels so Hitchcockian. You know, like Jaws, not a romantic thriller, but clearly it's Spielberg doing The Birds in a way. I mean, but a lot of people look at Spielberg as the son of Hitchcock. So much so that actually Hitchcock and Spielberg, Spielberg always loved Hitchcock, but Hitchcock kept his distance from Spielberg on the Universal lot because Hitchcock was aging and Spielberg was coming up. Hitch was a little resentful, but that's a story for another time. Francois Truffaut did The Bride in Black, which is a straight up Hitch thing. Claude Charbol. Take it where you will, guys. Romantic thriller. There are two choices I had in mind. Missing in Action 2. No. And Invasion USA. Invasion USA is great. But, no, I had two movies of mine. I'll let you decide which I'm going to talk about. A movie called Shattered and uh, Fatal Attraction. Which one, Craig? Is Shattered the Behringer one? Yes. Uh, I remember the VHS cover from that. Edwin, you got free will, homie. You talk about what you want. Yeah, but I, I want you to pick. I want you to pick, Craig. Which one Which one am I going to talk about? Uh, I'd go Fatal Attraction. That's where you're wrong, Craig. Shattered. I know, yeah. Shattered. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Brown and the football. Yeah, that's right. Uh, instead of paying attraction, 
I'm going to do Shattered because it's a movie that's never really talked about. It's one of Wolfgang Peterson's uh, romantic thrillers. And also, it's very Hitchcockian kind of way as well. Tom Berger wakes up uh, from a coma who has amnesia. His wife's trying to bring him back to you know, reality. And a little by little, something's off-put. It's kind of like Spellbound, actually, now that I think about it. He's trying to remember what the hell's going on about his life. And then as you get more and more into the movie, it's a very, very unappreciated romantic thriller. It has a great car chase sequence. Bob Hoskins is great in that movie. You want to talk about Final Analysis with Richard Gere and Uma Thurman? Why don't you do that one next? I, have, I haven't seen that one yet, but uh, th- okay. thanks for putting that in mind, Greg. But uh, now Shatter's a great movie. The payoff of the movie is amazing. I won't spoil it because it's so damn good. You just have to see it. But I love it when the bad guy gets what's coming to them. It's just so great so great and what are your thoughts on just the romantic thriller as a genre i'm a cup of tea you know i'm a cup of tea i mean i like it it's just it has to be done the right way in, in certain movies like shattered fatal attraction playing missy for me um it just has to be done right you know the funny thing about it um, romantic thrillers became big throughout the whole 90s they had like a whole amount of run of romantic yeah, thrillers good call that was ren what was that that was the resurgence of the romantic thriller for sure was the yeah 90s. yeah it's interesting to see the sort of like legacy of these Hitchcockian romantic thrillers has kind of gone two directions. In one direction, you have the sort of progression with the loosening of the standards of what we can show in films, which became more like erotic thrillers, psychosexual stuff. And then the other direction, though, is the sort of further incorporation of the romance sort of B-plot into mainstream sort of action films. Two of the biggest things I was going to bring up that I feel like are descendants of a type of Hitchcockian romantic thriller. I still need to see 39 Steps. I'm sure you're exactly right, but like Raiders of the Lost Ark or Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies have such a backbone of the romance between our, our leads, between Indy and Marion and Peter and MJ. And I tend to like a romantic thriller or a romantic da-da-da-da-da more than I like pretty much anything else that's straight romance because I think it's a little like the spoonful of sugar, you know? Like, I think a straight romance I kind of can bounce off of. Whereas when I have this other thing to focus on as the plot and then this is sort of a character thing, I don't know. I like it. I uh, That's my preferred version of that. And my, my favorite one, which I think I might have talked about last year when we talked about romance movies, so I don't want to repeat myself too much that we're also showing we'll have showed it earlier in the week when this airs is charade which um is great because it has those thriller elements to it and the comedy comes from the romance stuff and that but it also comes from the thriller stuff i was thinking in spellbound too and i i I don't want to um overstate this because it's like a theory i'm working out but there's clearly something in human nature and it's well documented where people are turned on by an unpredictable character you don't know if they're good you don't know if they're bad you don't know if they're gonna love you or if they're gonna hurt you and the uncertainty of that makes the erotic tension gets really really heightened and so what's interesting in spellbound if you really look at it is there's something psychosexual going on with ingrid bergman not knowing if gregory peck is gonna kill her or sleep with her or love her or 
all three. And when you look at Basic Instinct, it's kind of spellbound on its head, which is Michael Douglas doesn't know if Sharon Stone is. And what's fascinating about that movie is it's kind of all three. They love each other. They have sex and they clearly could do harm to each other. So it almost makes the uh, the subtext text. I love romantic thrillers. My two favorite things being thrilled and being loved. Perfect combo. <laughs> I was trying to figure out like a distinct one to talk about. Notorious is my favorite Hitchcock. So I kind of want to save that if we get into more Hitchcock stuff down the road. So I, I put together uh, a six film speed round of romantic thrillers or things kind of adjacent that I think should count in my time of being alive. And I put them in order of... Um, their release. First one, I think it gets you kind of romantic thriller. Speed, romantic thriller on a bus. Maybe pushing it. My second one that I think also applies, The Mask of Zorro. Some romance, some thrills. Antonio Banderas, how do you not? Well, you're definitely getting at those when I was getting at what I was talking about with like Raiders and Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of a mainstream action adventure movie that uses the romance as the sort of character aspect of the film only those two count is that my third choice i think bound is like the perfect example of i say modern but now it's nearly nearly 30 years old but i think bound sort of rocks the romantic thriller aspects with pushing some really interesting progressive stances along the way and just rules soderbergh's out of sight i think is a modern again is modern the right word when it's 25 years old <clears throat> romantic thriller that only seems to get better the more times you come back to it also has a hitchcock edge to it and then the last two i think a lot of Park Chan-wook's filmography feels in the same realm of Hitchcock and The Handmaiden and then his movie from last year, Decision to Leave, really feel like that. I mean, Decision to Leave's crux is a detective's investigating someone's death and he thinks that the wife might be involved and he starts to fall for her, which just reads like a Hitchcock plot. And The Handmaiden, if you don't know the plotting to that, I'd say go in blind because it's sort of the way that it uses expectations of what it's doing are part of what makes it so effective, but... I think Park Chan-wook's probably one of my choices for the someone doing it the closest to Hitchcock, where it doesn't feel like he's mimicking. It feels like an evolution in his own voice. Those are all great calls. Uh. Daniel, you inspired me, so I was jotting down what you were talking, because I didn't want to talk about the obvious. I've heard different artists say this, and I think it's really, to me, it's really helpful advice, which is you should absolutely watch as much as you can that's good and let it get into your bloodstream, but you have to make things and tell stories that are yours. You can't say, well, you can, and a lot of people do, but it may not be as original or effective if you go in saying, I want to make a movie, a Hitchcock movie, or you go in saying, I want to make a movie about the 1970s because I'm obsessed with that era, or I want to make a mystery. I just want to make a genre movie because then the genre or the era or the filmmaker gets foregrounded in the best, at least this has been my experience, is the best you can do is people being like, oh, that was a good evocation of the 70s, or oh, that was a Hitchcock movie. And What's interesting is like Jonathan Demi did a Hitchcock movie that no one talks about anymore that he made in the 1970s. I'll have to look up the name of it. Oh, Last Embrace. Thank you. The Last Embrace. But when Jonathan Demi just started to make Jonathan Demi movies, Jonathan Demi, forgive me, that's when everyone's like, oh, these crazy genre mashups. Or even though a lot of people point to De Palma as one of the clear sons of Hitchcock, I feel when De Palma has made his overt Hitchcock movies, these are not the movies people talk about. Obsession was a remake of Vertigo. Dress to Kill, which is probably the one everyone talks about, was a remake of Psycho. Body Double is a remake of Rear Window. And yet, I would point out that my favorite Hitchcockian De Palma riffs are Sisters, 
which is nuts about these two Siamese twin sisters separated at birth because De Palma just goes crazy in it and it just becomes De Palma crazy, which I love. And Blowout, which even though Blowout is a bit of a remake of Antonioni's Blow Up, it's still very De Palma. There's the Nancy Allen, John Travolta storyline in it. And there's a great payoff in their tragic love story at the end. And it feels to me much more original than just a straight up, I'm remaking this movie. It's a little bit more of a synthesis of all of his influences as opposed to like more slavish to one or the yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, even though we've, we've talked about it before and I have issues with De Palma at his worst, De Palma to me has some tendencies and inclinations I'm not a fan of, but I don't want to be misunderstood. Hi, mom, sisters, Carrie, blowout, Untouchables, uh, what's the Carlito's Way, Scarface. I love those movies. And, you know, even though I'm not the biggest Phantom of the Paradise fan, I really enjoy that movie. What? I know. Connor roasted me in front of 300 people because of it. Good. I ju- it's just not on my wavelength completely. So the other movies I was thinking about that I just want to throw out is Paul Verhoeven actually made a basic instinct rough draft that a lot of people don't talk about called The Fourth Man when he was still uh, in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it completely works, it's but a it's... Funny title. So, yeah. And it's all about this guy who is so repressed in his desire for other men that it manifests itself. He represses it in his Catholicism and Verhoeven being Verhoeven has these amazing images of like really hot dudes on crosses and speedos. And then the women in the movie are really androgynous. And then there's this scissors thing, which he brings back with the ice pick and basic instinct. It's the movie that got him to come to America. It's like what they all do, (laughs) like what John Woo did. He sort of said, here's my calling card, America, fourth man. And they were like hired. And it's great. You should check it out. And then there's a Woody Allen movie called Match Point, which interestingly, Woody Allen considers his greatest movie. I don't actually. I think it's a little pretentious. Like when you have your character reading Crime and Punishment, you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. It's like a little on the nose. And yet the twist, I know Edwin was talking about the twist in Shattered. The twist in Match Point, I think Hitchcock would have been like, I wish I had thought of that. I don't want to ruin it because I think people should see it. But it's probably the best uh, narrative twist Woody Allen ever came up with. And it really drives home Woody Allen's philosophy about the randomness of the world. And it's incredible. And I remember when it happened at the end, I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. So I really do recommend Match Point. That's the most Hitchcockian of Woody Allen movies. And then I think the director that I just would want to turn people on if they're not turned on to this, and I'm sure you are, but probably my favorite, personal favorite son of Hitchcock would be Pedro Almodovar. And if you see Pedro Almodovar movies, they are absolutely Hitchcockian in his control of craft, in his embrace of the thriller. But he's doing it in this great Almodovar way where he's talking about LGBTQ issues, issues of Spain, and they're absolutely Almodovar films. But if you see movies like Matador, Live Flesh, The Skin I Live In, Bad Education, Broken Embraces, they are all, uh, you can feel Hitchcock's DNA. And then last, and I'll end on this, but we've talked about it so many times, it's just going to sound like white noise. But David Lynch also has absolutely absorbed Hitchcock. And you never think of Hitchcock when you see Blue Velvet, unless you've seen Rear Window a thousand times, which I have, because it's my favorite Hitchcock. You're like, oh, it's Rear Window. And then we talked about Lost Highway. You're like, oh, it's Vertigo. You know, but David Lynch did the smart thing where he absorbed it in his DNA and made an absolute David Lynch movie. And those are the romantic thrillers I love. I don't love the romantic thrillers where I'm like, oh, they want us to know that they love Hitchcock. So any any final thoughts? Uh, you know, 
Uh, That's a no. <laughs> I think since since Edwin's not a big not a big romantic thriller fan, I think you should make a romantic thriller and show us what needs to happen for it to, to stand out. It's already it's more. already been done. It's called Shadow. I want the Edwin Gomez version. In the first minute, there would be a little romantic tension, and character A would just push character B out of the way and pull out a machine gun, and then the rest would just be shooting. Would be like, I don't have time for this. It's you with a blue race. <laughs> I already made that decision, didn't <laughs> All right, I want to thank our, here, here's take two on this one. All right, I would like to thank our sponsor, Vita Urge. Talking about uh, feeling dangerous and romantic, uh, we are sponsored today by a vitamin supplement. If you're a little milk toast, you're a little mediocre, you're a little shy, you might want to try Vita Urge. Don't fight the urge, Vita Urge. Unfortunately, immediately after you take it, you're going to want to isolate as there are a lot of side effects and it makes you slightly psychotic, but it will make you dangerous and sexy. So thank you to our sponsors, Vita Urge. And now Vita Urge is uh, sponsoring our pop culture corner. So guys, talk about anything you want to talk about that has nothing to do with today's topic. I had a couple things I wanted to briefly just shout out. Nothing intense. One, I made another box. <laughs> hey. Congrats, bro. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I made another one. Also, I have another prop. Ah, it's New York Ninja. It's New York Ninja. New York Ninja Super Special. It's a cool magazine comic sequel to the New York Ninja movie that came out last year. Great fucking movie. Great movie. I also wanted to shout out Trancers. People should check that out. That's a uh, movie Charles Band made with Tim Thomerson. It was the first movie with that Helen Hunt ever starred in. It's a great like time travel. Speaking of romantic thrillers, it actually does kind of fit. It is essentially a, a sci-fi romantic thriller. Man, Tim Thomerson. When you say a name like that, that takes you right to an era. It's, it's 80s, one of the, he rules. He's like the unappreciated badass of the 80s. Oh, totally. And then also, lastly, I also watched a movie called uh, Robot in the Family. <laughs> which stars Joe Pantoliano and John Rice Davies. Whoa. And multiple people as a robot. Apparently one of them is the screenwriter of Moonstruck, but that might be an IMDb mistake, but I'm going to choose to believe in magic. Um, you know, if the room is like a bunny slope, like bad, bad movies, this is definitely a double black diamond bad movie. I have to warn people, it's it's a cacophonous, endless noise of confusion. I've watched a lot of bad movies and I've gotten really, really good at being able to figure them out, even when they're bad and not doing a good job of telling us how stuff is supposed to go. And Robot in the Family confounded me. I was like, I don't know what this movie is trying to do. I was very confused <laughs> at the plot. It seems like it should be a movie about a robot in the family and only about two or three scenes are that. And the rest is a lot of intrigue involving artifacts from the Middle East. It's a wild one. But yeah, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash NerdHollow. I'm watching a lot of pictures. I'm actually almost to 100 movies this year. I just need one more to fill in the blank. So that's pretty cool. I scored the, the Jackie Chan uh, Shout Factory box set I got from Amoeba. Actually pretty damn cool. So far, my two favorites are Battle Creek Brawl, which I did a hell of a great transfer on, and Dragon Lord, which I'm so happy I could see the Hong Kong version. Is it of Project A on it? No. Uh, apparently, it's not in the second one, so that's kind of a bummer. Hopefully, that's separate. Now, Dragon Lord is my personal favorite because, one, I've been watching that Dimension DVD sub version, which I hate a lot. 
So it's nice to hear the original Hong Kong version, which is great. Could we make that your nickname? What? Dragon Lord? Yes. Yes. I will. I will. I'll, uh, the Dragon Lord himself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> bastard. Uh, also, last night, I was watching Missy in Action Part 2, the beginning. A uh, little fun fact. So they were shooting uh, both movies back to back. But as, as soon as they finished the final product on both movies, they realized uh, Missing Action Part 2 actually kind of looks terrible. Oh, man, this is h- hard to explain now. So Missing Action Part 2 was actually supposed to be the first movie. And the first Missing Action was supposed to be Part 2. But they realized that that one looked a lot, lot better. They just decided to switch around. Let's call it that Missing Action and this make it in a prequel, which is a pretty solid choice they make. Uh, this one, <laughs> This one did not look good. And that budget for that looks like... It all went to the other movie, which is actually ten times better. But it has an incredible scene when the bad guy blows up, and I love when the bad guy blows up. I thought every bad guy should go out. Make a list on Letterboxd called When the Bad Guy Blows Up and share it with the good people. I should. I love it. I love it when bad guys blow up. You still Have you watched Stone Cold yet? Not yet. I'm working on it. A lot of bad guys blow up in that. You got to watch that one. See? Doesn't the bad guy blow up in the fourth Rambo? Yes, he does. Oh, yeah. That's epic. Actually, you should wait and let me... Hopefully I'll get you for Secret Santa this year and I can just give you that movie. Live and Let Die. It's the bond where the bad guy blows up. Mr. Big, you, you off at Coda. Yeah, yeah, you blow up. Doesn't he blow up in True Lies? Yes, yes, they all do by helicopter. Oh, yeah, there we go. It says you fire and it bam. That's awesome. My notable thing for this week was we watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which we'll discuss on the podcast in a few weeks. It's the best. What a great movie. Uh, well, by the time you hear this, it'll, it'll be a few weeks later, and uh, I'm sure other things will be happening in the world. I did get to thinking there was just a, at the time we're recording this, there was a horrible earthquake in Turkey and Syria. I had this weird um, experience yesterday where uh, my wife and I, Martha and I, were just joking. It was great. You know, we were, it was actually very funny we're laughing and i then just had this really weird i was like you know we're really lucky that we can be here laughing because uh as of today it's already five thousand plus people that have died so anyway this isn't whatever but i just wanted to say if you're looking like to do an empirically good thing and uh donate to the families in syria and turkey who are suffering a kind of suffering that we can't really imagine right now, but maybe visit it upon us one day. <laughs> Don't worry. The universe gets us all one way or the other. You can go to Charity Navigator, and Charity Navigator does a really good job of vetting, you know, the charities that are doing good work, and then the charlatans and the con artists, of which there are many. Looking here, the Turkish Red Crescent is recommended, the Syrian Red Crescent. Looks like Turkey and Syria's version of Red Cross. Syrian American uh, Medical Society, Doctors Without Borders, they're always great. International Blue Crescent Relief and Development Foundation. Anyway, by the time you hear this, just go to Charity Navigator. You got 25 bucks. It'll do an empirical good. Just on my mind. Uh, And I want to be fully transparent. I have not yet donated, but God willing today, I was just thinking about this this morning. When I get off this pod and I do my other business for the afternoon, I'll be donating this afternoon probably to one of the Red Crescents or Doctors Without Borders. There you go. So next week, Secret Movie Club Podcast 139. We are going to be talking about Notting Hill. One of the, I was talking to Daniel ahead of that. The Richard Curtis is really a genre, sort of 90s and early aughts, British romantic comedy. And Lovers Rock, Steve McQueen's episode, really a feature, a 71-minute feature about a house party among West Indies immigrants in, in London. Secret Movie Club team member Josh Oakley, a guest program that for his birthday. And it was a fascinating pairing because both movies take place in the Notting Hill 
Hill region of West London. But Josh noticed that as great as Notting Hill is, it presents a, a West London that seems pretty white. And Lover's Rock is a corrective which shows the West London that is much more mixed and polyglot. And actually in Lover's Rock, it's almost completely black, except for a few white characters who almost are trespassers into the house party. And we'll talk about that. But we're also going to talk about movie pairings and really the heart of what Secret Movie Club is on one level, which is double features and how do you create series and how do you pair movies and curate movies. So stay tuned for that. As always, you can find out our schedule at secretmovieclub.com. Just go to Eventbrite if you want to come join us and see what we're doing. And you can always write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. As always, this episode was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. Thank you, Connor. And uh, we will see you next week for Secret Movie Club Podcast 139. All right, guys. Uh, have a great week. Uh, I love you, family. <laughs> it looks like last night he watched... <laughs> he wa- he watched Lovers Rock and then he followed it with Missing in Action too. <laughs> he needed a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. After all that open emotion. <laughs> What's funny is he gave them both the exact same rating.